Hello, it's Kellen from The Game Train here. Hope you're all having a great day or night, wherever you are at the moment. This is a very special episode of On The Platform. I had the absolute honour of interviewing the four Sega Masters from the early Australian 1990s Sega hotline on a stage at PAX Oz this year. Here is the full audio of that panel. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, before we start, I'd like to uh, acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, the Boonwaring and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. Welcome, everyone that is here today. Hello, hello, hello. And all those watching at on uh, Twitch right now, including my mum and dad, I'd like to say a big hello. All right. Wow, let's do this. Today, let's go back to a time. Before YouTube guides, streamers, Reddit, back to when if you were stuck on a game, you would have to wait for a magazine to be released, listen to bogus schoolyard rumors, or give a call to a nice friendly stranger on the Sega hotline and ask for help. Please give a massive welcome to four of those oh-so-knowledgeable strangers, Tim Gadler, Nick Smith, Tim Smith, and Sin Spacey's Costello Brian. Look at you guys. Hello. Hello, hello. Wow. Face. <laughs> We're so baby-faced and cute then. I don't know what happened in um, 25 years. I think I feared all right. Um, <laughs> I wish I had my hair back, but anyway, that's not the story. <laughs> so, uh, so back then, did you ever think, 20 plus years, we'll just go of that, uh, that you'd be sitting on a stage in PAX talking about this? Never in my wildest dreams, because um, it was just another time and era, and when we were in the, on the Sega hotline, I guess there was none of that social media, there was no big event. I think the biggest sort of pop culture event in the world, which Nick and I went to um, back in 93, was um, the San Diego Comic Conventions. That was what the pop culture conventions were of its time, so it was never... Um, a twinkling in our eye that this could ever be a possibility, but we're really excited to be here. Uh, I had no freaking idea. No way. Um, I, was, I only went to PAX for the first time last year. I never thought I'd be sitting in front of a bunch of people talking about what I did in the past. So, yeah, absolutely awesome. Yeah, no, it's one of those things. You look back and, and wish you could have archived a bit more or, or kept more notes or took more photos, but, um, you know, being able to sort of talk about those, you know, the, the, old, the golden days of, uh, of gaming here in Australia, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I guess I just didn't think that gaming would be so accepted now, because back in my day, you used to get beaten up if you get, <laughs> if you tell people you're playing video games. You uh, still do, don't you? You still do. <laughs> yeah, just the other week. <laughs> so, um, what got you interested in gaming, real quick? Well, I guess typical of um, people of our generation and age, um, it was all about, um, you know, arcade experience was a big part of our gaming background because the systems, the home systems of the day, the early 80s, mid 80s, were nothing in comparison to what um, gaming experience could be delivered at the arcade. Um, so we spent a lot of time there at time zones. Um, you've got your, all your classics. Um, I, you know, Nick and I own an arcade machine of, of that time. We've got a Tron environmental cabinet, which is um, really an awesome machine, uh, very hard to move around, but, um, but oh, oops. Oh. oh, well, sorry, um, yeah, uh, just like these guys, most of our gaming originated in the arcades, um, but uh, I, I also had um, an Atari, um, I had one of those, um, one of those um, game and watch. game and watches. Yes, having the sorry when you get a bit old, memory <laughs> goes a bit old. Um, yeah, game and watch, Atari twenty six hundred, and um, another console. Um, 
Um, yeah, so I, I was at the arcades a lot. I just used to watch people play games. I didn't have a lot of money. And it was like, you know, watching a, a Twitch stream or, or a YouTube video these days. You just watched and watched and watched. And when you had money and you played, you played hard. Uh, in year 10, um, 1989 it would have been, I spent two weeks at a, um, doing work experience at a place where they built the arcade machines and it was a dream. I was there as soon as I could be in the morning in the showroom. They had to kick me out every night, but I had a lot of fun sort of building them and learning a bit about what goes on inside. Uh, for me, definitely Space Invaders. <laughs> um, seeing that uh, Space Invaders cabinet in the milk bar down the road uh, drew me to the... Um, yeah, drew me to gaming. Uh, but later on, I was to get the SC3000 that you can see up there. That was my first console slash computer. Uh, and the first game I had on it was Pac-Car. Pac-Man with a car. <laughs> and, and if you're wondering why there's a TRS-80 there, um, I unfortunately owned one of those. It's a <laughs> freaking bad mistake. Uh, I'm but so we, sad we, for you, Tim. Yeah. All right, so, you know, you were all on that... Wonderful Sega Hotline, please. Everyone wants to know how did this, how did this all start for you guys? Like, please take us through those stories. It's got the shortest story. Oh well, yeah, okay, there's me. <laughs> um, yeah, the Sega Times was uh, a thing. That I always loved buy, buying and reading magazines, and I wanted to do it myself. And I had very limited um, computers and printers and whatnot to do it with. But I was just so determined. Um, and a, a guy that used to distribute uh, imported. Mega Drive titles was going to help me with this and uh, I ended up putting together a magazine and sending it to Sega and that's how I ended up getting my job because I was sending them copies of this and uh, eventually they had a change of management and the first task that that new manager had was to put me on, on the hotline. So yeah, I got so much flack for that photo. <laughs> um, for me, um I spent a lot of time in hospital with my diabetes as a kid in, uh, in Beechworth, northeast Victoria. And um, yeah, didn't finish me high school, but um, I came across a master system and I became such a big fan that I had to get in touch with somebody that knew a lot about it. So I wrote off a letter to Seeker of America and yep, there we go. Um, yes, and I got in touch with, now if you look at at the, the ladies down there, it's the lady the third from the left. That was Judy, and and she sent back a letter, and we became pen pals. One day she sent through a big box full of hints, cheats, and tips, and walkthroughs for games that had been released yet and yet to be released, and ones that had never been announced. So I sat down for a job interview, and they asked me the inevitable question: What can you bring to Sega? and I slid across the bit of paper. And uh, that was pretty much it. That's how I got a job. <laughs> OK, so um, my started on the Sega hotline was right at the end of, um, I finished high school in 91, and um, went to Windsor High School in New South Wales, which is a bit of a, a rural high school, but I uh, had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, um, one of my eldest brothers worked at Sega Aussie Soft, and the reason why I've got that picture on the left with the fellow with the, the glasses is behind him, there's Simpsons, there's Game Gear, the, all this signage that was actually cut out from foam, and that's what Gerald, my brother, did at Sega Aussie Soft, and he knew I was sort of, wasn't sure what to do. He said, well, look, you love gaming, why don't, I think they're looking for people to work on the Sega hotline, why don't you give them a call? And um, I did, I went in, I loved gaming, went in for an in interview, and um, there we go. Um, and similar for me, I mean, I, Tim joined the hotline before me and it was a couple of months uh, I was at home. Uh, we were only 17 and a half at that stage um, after finishing high school and, uh, you know, when you lose that sort of structure of your day-to-day -day at, at school, you kind of wonder what you're going to do. Um, and I was just playing games and, and Tim's like, I'm at the hotline, why don't you see if you can join too and get paid to at least play games and help people? And I'm like, okay. So I came in and had a chat and the next thing that was the start for me and uh, it was very, very cool. Awesome. Okay, so with no internet, etc., you know, what it was back then, where did all your hints and tips come from? Well, the, the hints and tips, um, they would come, there's several sources for that, actually, and um, we might just come back to that in a moment. We've got yes, no problem. Yep. 
Um, but uh, we can give us just some background working at the hotline because that's how we got the hints and tips was all part of that. So um, we just got some, this footage, Brian, do you want to give a bit of background to this footage? So at this time, I'd never had any video footage of myself and a guy came into the hotline filming with one of those big ass cameras and uh, he went around recording it and I hunted down a copy of this tape because I was just like, I need a film of myself because it's not like now you pull out your phone and you're on video. So I hunted this down and I've kept it in storage all this time and I put it on my YouTube channel about three years ago and got it moved over from VHS. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Look at the hair. Like, that's just wrong. <laughs> we did know how to act in front of cameras. Probably still don't. But it's not like today's generation where everyone's just used to cameras. We were just, it was like a big deal to have a camera pointed at you. So you had to try and perform or do something stupid and not that casual like this idiot. Um, <laughs> I meant me. I meant me. Tim, but Tim trying to look responsible oh, this, is, this is an actual call. And Hello. Hi, I just bring you up to ask if you know how to We were professionals. So I just want to talk about that sequence of events and, and, and the push for the membership. Um, when, when we were working on the SIG hotline, that was when it was still uh, sort of, you know, free local call for people to come in. Check out um, that PC. I'm just going to sort of skip to the next one because the SIG hotline, we were, um, there was no precedent to what we were a part of at the time. It was big. Um, the SIG hotline was advertised everywhere. It was on TV, in all the magazines, on every single cartridge that went out there was a sticker, like Hints and Tips Hotline. So, um, and when Sonic the Hedgehog came out, Sega Aussiesoft pushed, they shifted hundreds of thousands of units and the hotline was busy and there had to be a way from the management of the time to sort of be able to sort of wrangle the amount of calls that would come in because we couldn't, even between the four of us and other casuals that would come in, we couldn't facilitate all the calls. So, uh, Actually, I found, um, just digging through some old archive stuff, and I found a, a, an actual data sheet showing how many minutes of calls we got for the 0055 calls, because that's what we shifted to later. That's right. Sonic 2 was, like, number one, of course, and Sonic 1 was also up there. Do you know what number three was? How to tune your Sega into the TV. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I think probably that question was popular because at the time, um, being able to rent Sega games from your video store was massive. Like you could go in, get a game, you go in, get a movie, and people would just hire Segas or they would just hire a game and you know they had like a day or two to play it and get the most out of it and they really just wanted to, to smash it and they'd call us to get some help for it. And the Sega Master System 2, which was particularly popular at the price um, that it was, with um, Alex Kidd built in was um, for, for many parents of that era, their first sort of brush with the video game system. So they needed a lot of support there as well. Um, some other, so this is, um, this is Brett Munro. There's also Stuart Clark, who was the editor of um, Megazone, Segazone. Um, but this, this is a good shot to give you an idea of um, on the left of the screen, there's all, we used to get hundreds of letters from kids um, you know, every week about how much they love Sega games. And that He's was... actually not even on the hotline. He just came in and wanted to take one or two calls for fun. Like... <laughs> That's right. Oh, no, nothing. <laughs> just some photos. So they, these are, uh, the photos are actually quite rare for us because it's not like today with mobile phones. You know, back, back in our day, it was, um, you, know, you had to make a considerate, considerate effort to sort of take footage or, or photos. There's some indie. There was just props everywhere. It was because it wasn't just Sega um, that was being distributed. It was also uh, PC games, wasn't it, at the time? And 
That's right. Secret Aussie Soft, they, they distributed yeah, a lot Yeah, they were of distributing uh, PC stuff as well, which is why they were so good at distributing the Secret products, because they had already had experience in distributing uh, computer games as well. There's a, a picture of Brian and I at the hard at work. Pretending to work. Totally unposed <laughs> for a magazine there. Um, another aspect of, um, of the job that we loved was all the new peripherals that would come in, and there's myself there. Um, with, um, I think it was called Menacer, actually, the, the light yeah, we were gun. Test that was one of the first days we got it, and we were just yeah. testing it out. That didn't last long. <laughs> okay, and just... Um, well, back to this question yeah, again, because I'm a professional. Um, where did you get your hints from? Okay, so when, when I started at the hotline, there was no, as I, as I think I mentioned before, as a grassroots, it was the very beginning of any kind of hotline in, in Australia, and... Um, there was no um, baseline or no um, information to take over from anyone, although we did get some help from um, Seeger of America, who would send these... Only a little bit. Only a little bit. <laughs> then came all my stuff. <laughs> this is true. So um, we had these... You know, everything was printed, and so we were going through these guides to have a look at um, uh, hints and tips. Um, we'd get uh, information from overseas magazines. Um, Okay, so this was one that was sent into the hotline. I used to um, keep them in a personal folder because we didn't have a, a folder that was issued out. Like Nintendo was more organized in that way. All of our hints went into the computer, but what, the ones that were handed in uh, from the public, this was sent in by a fan, and I kept it. Now, there's a good story behind this one. Um, the guy's name's been covered up because he wanted his name uh, kept anonymous. I tracked him down all these years later on Facebook, and straight away he remembered sending this in. And I wanted to do a video on him, but he didn't want to um, have his name. Yeah, I think it was um, uh, Prime Minister, wasn't it? He's the Prime Minister yeah, now. Scott yeah. Morrison, yeah. No. <laughs> no Still but, is the wonder boy in Monsterland, but anyway. But, but that... <laughs> but that guide, it was full of maps drawn out in depth. The stuff that we were getting sent in, Fantasy Star guides, there was even one guy that sent in Golden Axe, complete, uh, Golden Axe Warrior which was like a Zelda clone. Um, that was completely mapped out, coloured in. It was just so much effort going into these um, maps that, and hints and tips that were sent in by the, crowd, um, by the fans. It was just fantastic. <laughs> All right, so what was the most frequently asked question you got? Can we do it, can we do it? Uh, any, sun, any guesses? Waves, moon, star, sun, moon, waves, fish, starfish. <laughs> Alex, the kid. <laughs> okay. So, so together, sun, waves, moon, star, sun, moon, waves, fish, star, fish. So, uh, just quickly, sorry. You just knew. Oh, uh, how did you originally solve this? Well, <laughs> people would call and they'd say, I'm in a room with pink, and you'd hear the, p and you knew exactly where they were and what the problem was. Um, and, you know, it was one of those little, um, that stone tablet that you'd find during the game, um, that actually has a solution on it, but, you know, being in Japanese, it's reversed and, you know, you have to read it in a certain way. So, you know, you could fluke it if you wanted to, but it was just, it looked just so jumbled, people just didn't know, and especially if they were like, you know, they weren't used to sort of trying to solve puzzles like that, it just became a mystery. I um, solved it, I solved it. You did? Yeah, that's what got me the job. Excellent. Well, that's you've got test. that Sega Master stuff, Brian. Uh, yeah. I, I refuse to play the game simply because of that one constant question we always got. So, yeah, I refuse because we all have nightmares. <laughs> as soon as um, someone would ring and say, I'm in a room, sun waves, moon, and on we go. All right. Well, so the Sega hotline, obviously, but you guys did a lot else for Sega for example, magazines, et cetera. Please take us through that. Um, yeah, so we were there. We were the game, uh, Sega Masters. We played lots of games. We were the experts. And um, the, the management and the, and the team there started to sort of rely a little bit more heavily on, on the expertise that we had. Um, in the early days, there was Sega Action, which I think was bundled in with the, um, the Mega Drives and, and the Mega memberships as well. Um, and so we'd start sort of doing little reviews, adding a few hints and tips, doing a little bit of news in there, and helping the marketing team to, um, to create and fill out these different brochures. So, I mean, for me, it was the start of something a lot bigger um, because I was, you know, handed games and asked to write about it, and I found I was pretty good at it. 
Uh, yeah, so that's um, the magazine that was being sold, Megazone. Um, there's yes. a bit of controversy. Tim, I reckon you should go on with this one. Uh, the yeah. Aladdin okay. cover had a bit so of a controversy. Aladdin, Aladdin was re-released recently, wasn't it? Yes, it something has. It's like out now. Yeah. So, um, looks pretty innocent, that cover, doesn't it? <laughs> Let's just look at everyone's eyes, shall we? <sighs> Jesus He's getting an Christ. eyeful. <laughs> it looks great, but, oh, God. What, and we got so many complaints about I didn't notice doing? it. Yeah, well, neither did I. I was just, all right, Aladdin. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we got so many complaints about it. What are you guys? Don't you know children reading this magazine? You're disgraceful. <laughs> just terrible. And Megazone was a lot of fun because that was the, the, the brainchild behind Sega Rise Soft. We were handed PC games, we were handed Amiga games, we were handed Sega games, and allowed us to sort of, you know, really delve into and explore the the whole world of gaming and, um, and, and start branching out into different things. Um, you know, there was stuff that, that was only on very limited release and sometimes it wouldn't get released at all because they'd sort of look at us and go, well, you know, what do you think of this game? Um, and uh, we'd be like, oh, you know, well, we've reviewed it and given it X um, as, a, as a review and they're like, okay, well, and that would sort of help steer them in terms of, you know, what kind of quantities they'd bring in. Uh, I had a problem. I was a little bit too honest with my reviews. Uh, one classic one was Outrun 2019, wow, <laughs> the year, and it was terrible. And my, I, I, I reckon it went through about four redrafts before we got the final product. So I started off with a rating of about 35. It somehow ended up, I think, up to 69, something. It ended up, I had to say, that the game was not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you. Um, and uh, also, um, a very popular part of um, this, the Sega Hotline or Sega experience for us was um, being part of the, the Sega Club. So um, uh, it became um, so the Sega Hotline, which was originally sort of a customer service function, moved to a sort of the direct marketing zone. So um, the Sega Club was very, very popular. Um, at, at its peak, we had about 25,000 members um, in Australia. Um, there was a, you know, and with Sonic 2, there was a tr huge opportunity for merchandise development and uh, Sega made the most of that. Um, and we also had um, a range, we also provided feedback for a range of merchandise that were produced in Australia with, uh, was it Reg Mombasa, I think? Thanks, Bev. Yep. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, I've seen one Bev's wearing one of those shirts today. Thank you. The original shirt. Very nice. Still got it. I want it. Um, one, one of the fun things we used to do on the, the hotline as part of the Sega Club as well is we just got mail all the time. Like, it wasn't just, you know, we'd be sorting through the memberships and there wasn't, like, um, the easy payments through, uh, you know, um, through online banking or anything like that in those days. People were just sending cash and kids would just send in, like, you know, coins taped to bits of paper and we had to collate it all. <laughs> And, um, you know, make sure that they got their memberships all right because, you know, sending mail, uh, money through the mail is always a bit sketchy. But, uh, you know, it was our job to make sure that, you know, the people who were paying got their, got their um, Sega kits. Um, we also got a lot of fan mail. Um, and there'd be lots of, uh, lots of different opportunities to sort of, you know, reply to people if we could. Um, I think we did try to, to get back to a lot of people. I mean, it wasn't emails back in those days either. So... I actually had a kid send in a comic based on me. That, that was odd. And one of the characters was a sock, a stinky sock. So it was me versus a stinky sock. I don't know. He was, he was five. So I, I gave him the benefit of you know, and, doubt. And, the, and to give you an idea of the console war, I've seen some of the pictures that the kids sent in, the pictures that they drew were just completely violent. Yes, you'd have Poor old a... Mario, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Sonic holding up the severed head of Mario, <laughs> blood dripping out Fatality. of it gloriously. <laughs> a lot of detail. I'm not sure where that kid is today, but, uh, you know. We did um, send a copy of it to their parents and say, might want to get some help with this one. But anyway. <laughs> no, we didn't. But it was real, yeah. Sega versus Nintendo was very real. All right, so uh, take us through this mystical cupboard of joy you've got sitting here, guys. Oh, 
Okay, so okay, the mystical cupboard of joy. So this is um, a, a screen grab from uh, this, the Sega Hotline video um, that was taken just a little bit earlier. And we call it the, um, the mystical cupboard of joy because not only were there our reference um, collection of Mega Drive games and, Sega and um, Master System games, but there were also um, ROMs, EPROMs. Um, and we had a board that looked like that on the left and we would get all manner of um, sort of early release, pre-release games that were sent over to us to, you know, a, help us facilitate re And reviews. it wasn't download, it was posted out in the mail in big long plastic tubes and you had to make sure you got them inserted in the right order. And yeah. you used to have to wear the um, anti-magnetic strap to avoid them getting corrupted. And, and then you had to make sure, you see just at the bottom, in the middle of the bottom of the uh, ROM board there, there's a little set of switches, so you had to have the right combination, and sometimes we yeah. get the ROMs, they wouldn't tell us what the combo was, so we're trying to work out all the different combination, combinations for it, it's crazy. It was so exciting. Like the the guys would come down from the marketing team. Oh, this Stuart. Yeah, Clark. this is a game um, gear. There was yeah, that's a game gear. They had like the special ROM boards for the different systems, um, the Mega Drive, the Master System, and the Game Gear. Just and, in your pocket. You know, they'd come down from upstairs and uh, have these little. There was, they were probably like about that long sometimes, and um, you know they'd have well, especially like Street Fighter Two when that came through, um, it had a heap of chips on it, um, and so you'd put them all on the the board plug it in, maybe blow on the, uh, the cartridge like you might with a regular mm -hmm. one to make sure it worked, and uh, fire it up. And it'd be early versions of lots of games. And mm. we had, there was probably over 100 of them. Actually, that was how I got to first see Sonic the Hedgehog. I got invited in as a 17-year-old, and that's what they pulled out to play Sonic the Hedgehog as a, in a beta form. So that was really cool to be invited in uh, yeah. to get to see that. Um, what happened to those games? <laughs> uh, you know, I think just with the, um, the passage of time, they just all ended up in, in the tip or chucked out. It's, um, it hurts. It really hurts because they could have been saved and who knows what little treasures were on those. But... Nice. Uh, okay, so... Uh, um, some, just some other things from what we did on the hotline. So part of my, yeah, my journey at, at Sega was uh, doing things like this. And now this is before Cheese TV. Who's banging it today with the Sega guys? Andrew, how are you? Good, Tim. Thanks for coming in. Nico? Good, man. Have look how nervous Nick is. <laughs> I'm very nervous. Stace, just keep playing. Just keep playing. Are you right? Don't let the fact on national television worry you, Stacey. Unbelievable. Fuck, she is unbelievable. OK. Um, and so, yeah, we'd go on there and we'd be doing, um, you know, reviews on games and the latest technology and stuff like that. Yeah. And this is the roadshow that you mainly did, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, as I sort of transitioned from the, um, the hotline, um, I started doing these little um, displays at shopping centres where people could come up and play Sega games um, in different shopping centres in Sydney. And um, after a while, then this was created. It was called the um, Street Tough <laughs> Sega Roadshow. <laughs> and uh, me and uh, Anthony would drive up and down the coast from uh, Queensland and, and down to Sydney again and setting this up. And it was pretty massive. We ha had it in a big truck and it was... Um, you know, it was pretty cool because, you know, it was very 90s in that sort of street But, but it was way. a little bit dangerous, wasn't it, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You can see in there, there's a pic of uh, Timmy and me. I've got the, the cap on in that bottom photo. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's me. And the TVs were set up in these big steel drums. Um, and, yeah. you know, there's electronics and, and wires all sort of cut through there and it's not very safe. <laughs> But, um, you know, it looked cool, and um, I do remember getting a shock or two, and I don't know whether it was just static or... <laughs> that's, that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, he was, see, he was already losing his hair. That's why he was wearing a cap back to front. I, I was so young, so young. It was too early. Too soon, mate, too soon. Um, but that was like a real joy, being able to do that. So this was shortly after I first started with Sega, and they were doing the National Championships 1992 and this is in Darling Harbour, and there was TV crews there. I would love to know what happened to that footage. Um, someone was filming this, but uh, we were all egging the kid on from Tasmania to win, but the guy from New South Wales got it. Yeah, I know, why were we not going for the New South Wales home state? But, <laughs> but um, 
That was an awesome, Dave. We even, I got a photo. I, I didn't put it in the slide, but I got a photo of Sonic going up the escalator. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I did don the Sonic suit once. Did you guys do that? Oh. I did. It's, it had, yeah, so there was fiberglass all over, even the head, big head. And um, inside the, the head was like um, a helmet that sort of propped onto your head. But Mike. on top of that was a little fan to try and keep you... And I swear to God, it was so freaking hot in there. They, they so later released hot. a new Sonic suit with a fan inside. That was <laughs> pretty cool. And, and Derek, Derek actually did the city to surf in in that he did it um i don't think we i don't think we saw him for about two months after that uh, uh, yeah hmm. anyway um just before we go into your life after sega we saw um brian just having a laugh in the video before what were some of the other sort of shenanigans you guys got up to you know with callers etc so during after hours, we'd be wanting to get out of there, but the calls were still coming in. So what, to clear the queue, and you know, not proud of this, but it was fun. <laughs> we get, we'd answer one call on mute, and then get another call on mute, <laughs> and then join them, and then sit back and watch. Uh, well, listen, and um, we, I, rem I remember one, it was a kid wanting Alex Kid tips, and the older guy was like, oh, Alex Kid, yeah, I played it. It was just fun to listen to these Random people talking to each other, giving tips out on games to each other. <laughs> it was a beautiful moment. <laughs> oh, and we used to also prank the Nintendo hotline. Well, I did. <laughs> yeah. When is, when is Sonic coming out on the NES? <laughs> what do you mean it's not coming out? <laughs> it happens. It, it did happen. It did happen eventually. And it's always a bit weird to see Sonic appear in a Nintendo game with Mario. But, you know, times change, you know, you've got to get over those rivalries and uh, I'm sure we'll see them in Mortal Kombat one day. <laughs> Feel those moves. It'll be like, finish him. And there's you know, Sonic Holly Mario's severed head. And uh, we'll see the, the game was programmed by that kid from all those years ago. It's like, wow, he made it. He made it. I think my, my personal view of um, what we were like, I think reflecting back... We were, we were pretty young and we could have been ratbaggy, but we did love our job and we just did take it very, very seriously. Um, I think my, my view of what the Nintendo hotline, I never met the guys there, but it always seemed to, in my mind, be very rigid and structured and um, uh, corporate where we were, um, you know, we were a bit more free, free flowing. But um, I know that the, um, you know, Kevin Burmeister and, and the management team at Seeger Ozzysoft were always very appreciative of the work that we did, because I think that's one thing that um, helped Sega in Australia become such the success it was. It always it was a battle in the US um, with the, the Sega and Nintendo rivalry, but certainly here, um, it was, Sega was a very, very um, um, strong, dominating um, force to be reckoned with in the video game industry. The culture was so laid back, the CEO was walking past while I had a Super Nintendo hooked up playing Street Fighter 2 while taking calls. <laughs> and Feet he didn't up. even bat an eyelid. <laughs> All right, so uh, life after Sega, what happened? Okay, well, um, so I went from the Sega hotline and I went to um, uh, the sort of assisting with the direct marketing aspect of the Sega club and, uh, and then I left Sega, I think, 94, and I sort of embarked on my sort of freelance journey in, in the video game industry. And um, so you may have seen a couple of clips early on as you're walking in of the zone. Um, Nick and I were zoom, on that. Zoom, zoom. Um, I wrote for, for a number of different magazines, um, as did uh, Nick as well. There's some sort of um, Time Zone magazine, GameStar. I worked at Time Zone. I, I did freelance work for Sony Computer Entertainment even before they had the, the PlayStation. So I was sort of brought on to sort of write their hints and tips lines for games like Wiz and Liz and Pugsy and things like that. Um, but then sadly for me, I didn't remain in the, um, the video, video game industry. Um, I moved on to sort of home entertainment movies after that. But Yeah. Um, so yeah, after I'd started writing for different magazines, it all sort of branched out from there. I'd, I'd made a lot of contacts and, and uh, had a pretty decent network. And um, as I was saying earlier, that 
you know, you were being handed games and asked to review them for Megazone, and uh, that was something that I felt that oh, I'm not too bad at this whole writing thing. And um, looking back, it was a, a pretty unique opportunity because, yeah, I had people moving on to different things, so I ended up writing for PlayStation Magazine, Nintendo, Time Zone, Hyper, Sydney Morning Herald, um, and you know, opportunities on the zone and that sort of stuff. It was all, it was all very cool. I also wrote and um, sub-edited a magazine um, called Cards Illustrated, which was um, during the, the trading card boom in the early or the mid-90s. Um, and there was so much going on, I was like, I, I didn't really have anyone to sort of help me focus and just focus on one thing and, and do it. Um, I'd left Sega at that stage and I'd, I'd started working at King's Comics in Sydney and I was there for about five years. And so full-time work and writing all these different video game reviews um, got a bit much. So uh, for some reason, I just sort of let the gaming side of things go. I still played games and still enjoyed them. But uh, my, my journey at that stage was kind of done in, in, that, in that world. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, just briefly, I went on to write for Hyper Magazine for a, uh, a little bit longer and then went to work for a video game store, The Gamesman in Sydney. Um, but after that, yeah, the job started to dry up in the gaming industry. So I've been out of the gaming industry ever since, unfortunately, um, which is why I started up my own YouTube channel again just last what, three years ago now. And uh, just to try and get back into talking about video games with, with um, other gamers, that was the main reason for that. So that's what I'm doing now is YouTubing, yeah. Um, I've got a normal job too. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, so I got into retail. I started working for an electrical retail company up in Sydney called Bing Lee. Did that for a few years. Um, then moved back down to Melbourne, worked for Coles as a bakery manager, so really normal. But through all the twists and turns, I'm now um, uh, working as a vocational trainer for long-term unemployed and disability students um, to help them get back into the workforce. So uh, very re rewarding, I must say. Yeah, um, it, we, we can look back and, and think it was a pretty unique time because we were on the hotline, it was a local call to Sydney and um, you know then it went to members only and then finally it did jump into that sort of 1-900 world or whatever it was for, or 0055 for 70 cents a minute or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something and ridiculous. It, it changed the whole sort of feel of what, what we were doing and I don't sort of look back and, and wish I was still on there at that stage. Yeah, it got, it got bought out by a telemarketing company. Um, they got rid of all the staff from Sega. Um, and then my understanding was that people weren't allowed to play the games. They weren't, they had to read off the screen and yeah, and people being charged, you know, almost a dollar a minute and... Oh! Still you actually pick around. up a phone okay. and dial it. <laughs> the ultimate, ultimate Games hotline is still being run out of North Sydney. There's the, have they heard of the thing called the, um, the internet? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it was, you know, I always won, pondered about the, um, the, the ability to charge people almost a dollar a minute to sort of, because when we, you know, we all specialised in a particular game because particularly JRPGs and things like um, Landstalkers and, um, and things like that, not all of us could be across every single game, so we took under our wing... It was the reason why I left. Yeah. Well, and then we took under our wing a couple of games that people, we could sort of really delve into and be able to provide a quality help to people with their experience. And sometimes you're on the phone for 10 or 15 minutes. I'm like, well, where's the value for someone ringing and then paying... You know, ten to twenty dollars for for a call. I, I just failed to see that. Anyway, here we are. So this picture you're seeing here is a Reddit post that this awesome gentleman here posted uh, after a Hubcon. Uh, I guess you could say panel debut. Yeah, and which was being arranged by that so awesome Hub gentleman Con, there. Yeah, so um, I run a, a theatre in the Blue Mountains, um, and uh, one of my dreams has been to sort of develop a sort of pop culture um, uh, expo kind of thing and I put that on earlier this year and invited um, these guys to come and be part of that and we um, ran a gaming before Google panel and we had um, Stephanie um, Hex Bendixson as part of that which is really exciting and um, Nick yeah and um, you know I, I, I love Reddit and I thought I'll, you know I'll post on r slash gaming and see if anyone likes it you might get a few upvotes but it went crazy and um, hours later we ended up Oh, it was nearly 100,000 upvotes, and um, 
by the end of it all, it was at the top of Reddit, and all of a sudden I was being invited to lots of different secret Reddit groups because of that, and I was like, oh, this is fancy. And, and, and which it does sound, it does sound secret saucy. Reddit group did you it, go? It sounds saucy, but it's people just sharing more photos of their cats, so it's really <laughs> nothing too, nothing too it, it, It's really funny, some of the comments we got on there, um, some of them saying, you guys are my gods. Yeah. And, and one, one described us as the Beatles. The that, the Beatles, that, was, yeah. that, that I was Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, sorry, I got John. Sorry for you. <laughs> Paul. I want to be Paul. I, I think you were Paul. I think you were. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, so that, that was crazy. <laughs> oh, and here, here we are today. So. Wow, there we go. Look at that. All right, so I'm sure a few of you in the audience have some questions for these guys. Yeah? Yep, um, my assistant here, the Lyrical, hello sir. Um, he will have a microphone and he'll come around to you and uh, these nice gentlemen here will uh, answer your questions for you. This is like Donahue. Yeah, all right, yes. <laughs> Look at him go. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Um, what was the toughest situation you had um, with Sega and how did you deal with it? Tim, I reckon you got this. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. We're all nervous. The Mega Drive? Or the other one? Oh, you know the one. Terminator. Okay. Terminator. Right, the Do Terminator. It. So I get a call. And it's a uh, young mum. She says, oh, look, I really want to get a Mega Drive, but I can't afford to get one. And and all that. I wish I could just play it in my own free time and all that. And you hear the kids screaming in the background. I said, look, and I'm fresh from the country, okay? I'm going into the city. I thought, well, how about this, love? I'll come out to your house. I've got two mega drives. I'll give you one of mine, and you can borrow a few games. And you can play around with it, you know, maybe for a couple of weeks. But no qualms whatsoever. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Please, shit. Continue. Okay, so I get out there. It's Farrybro House, you know. Not good. It's west, west of Sydney. Anyway, get out there, knock on the door, and uh, I said, oh, is that you, Tim? Yeah, yeah, um, I've unlocked the door. Uh, I'm just getting one of the kids. Um, just come in. And I open up the door, and the first thing I see is cockroaches. <laughs> cockroaches running all over the place, like... Okay, that's fine. Look, not everyone lives in a perfect world. I get that. I go in, turn to the right, and there's this toddler on its back, like that. Cockroaches running over that as well. Ah. So, anyway. What she... could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this, this woman comes around from the corner. Oh, hi, Tim. Hi. And, you know, not, not, a, not a much wealth, I must say. It's a poor thing. But anyway. I set it all up and I start showing her all the games and playing them bad and say, all right, you push this and that. Anyway, I notice that every time when I go up and change the cartridge, when I get back, she's getting a little bit closer to where I'm sitting. Okay. Anyway, playing away, I'm showing her another game and she says something and she reaches over and... <laughs> oh. <laughs> what could go <laughs> wrong? <laughs> I've just gone, oh, you know, piss off. <laughs> I go bolting out to my little car, get in there, drive off, get back home to the other side of town. I'm like, that's interesting. That's great. Shit, I've left all the games in the Mega Drive. <laughs> back there. So I went back three days later, knock on the door, oh, it's you, mm, I mean, this <laughs> is grumpy. And I said, look, I've got to, got to get me games in there. Okay, so in I go. Unpacking everything. What anyway, could go wrong? Could, cockroaches. But she says, why don't you love me? <laughs> and I'm like, no, you, you, look, you, you don't 
I wasn't here for those intentions. I was here to help you out. Look, I've got to go. Country she's, boy. <laughs> country boy. Anyway, she, and she's like, why don't you love me? And she's getting even more angry and so on, quickly getting things up. <laughs> and she's getting even more angry and so, sort of start hearing banging behind me. So grab all my stuff, start running out, and then she goes bolting after me. Why don't you love me? <laughs> I run out to my car. She literally flings herself onto the bonnet of the car. You ever seen Terminator 2? <laughs> I'm backing out. She's still hanging on. I put the brakes on and go into, into drive, and she gets off the side. And she gets off around the side. She wanted to get into the car and I just sped off and all I could see in the rear vision mirror was this <laughs> yeah that that's my life my terrible and, story and uh, <laughs> and Tim Tim drove a, a Mazda jelly bean 121 by the way yeah, and we didn't want to see Tim on the news with his lovely head, severed head, being held <laughs> up by this lady in the western suburbs of Sydney. But anyway. Uh, next question, who'd like to ask one? So, we, we know you boys were pretty much gaming tragics. Um, there was an incident on the hotline that I remember, uh, which happened on a weekend when we couldn't get access to the magic cupboard. Um, do you want to explain what you did, Gads? <laughs> What's this all about me? <laughs> we were good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so um, we had. Uh, I'm trying to remember the story. I think I had to get. I had to get access to a ROM cupboard, but the ROM cupboard. What had happened after these guys had left is that they put all the ROM cupboards and the games into a separate room. They changed the rules a bit. So. I had to, there was a, um, a customer on the line, kid on the line, wanted to get through a game and I needed to get my hands on the game. So I went through all the trouble of climbing up through, you know how you got those sort of, um, what do you call those ceiling things? I mean, they're made of foam or... The squares, yeah. So I literally climbed up through those into the room because the door was locked, got the game. Um, I, I don't think I could open the door from the inside, so I went back up and through. I think that's where Mission Impossible got its inspiration from. <laughs> yeah. But it's for the customer, it's for the kids. Okay, so yes, I did that, I did do that. I had the same thing. <laughs> and I never got into any trouble. I didn't get caught. <laughs> any uh, other questions? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I think. Brian, you had a, a tricky customer's question one day. Was it about the unboxing? Like they couldn't get the... Oh, no, that was Tim, but yeah, we had, we used to get... <laughs> <laughs> We're old now, no, no, please forgive Tim, us. Out of Tim, No, no, couldn't get the Mega Drive out of the box or something, yeah. <laughs> We used to get uh, all sorts of some random. weird calls, and you'd have to sort of wonder if, if they were sort of, mm, you're having me on here, or they gen genuinely, yeah, exactly. you had to sort of treat it with some sensitivity and um, respect, but uh, yeah. No, there was one I recall that they couldn't get the Mega Drive out of the box. I talked them through it. Uh, this is a question directed at Tim. Um, <laughs> Tim again. Uh, Alex Kidd. Um, I'm in a room, pink tiles on the floor. No, I'm, I'm only joking. Um, you guys seem to be caught up in this whole retro nostalgia thing. Um, how are you coping with this newfound fame? Fame? <laughs> I did. I was on the front of IGN uh, website because of what's happening with this. Uh, so in Sydney, we had Sega World, and the statues kind of just went... Everything went missing uh, after it was sold off, but years later it was found in a junkyard. So I went out there with a camera and put it on my channel and I ended up getting a bit of popularity out of that, but I wouldn't call it fame. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the comments in the original Reddit post that went crazy, um, one of the guys in there was saying that you guys were part of something very special and unique and you should always look back um, at the time and, and you know, really enjoy what you, you did and, and what you brought to the world. And, um, you know, so my, my cat has more followers 
than I do. Um, but I'm enjoying these little moments to be able to share these stories uh, for posterity. And it's a, real, it's a real joy because retro gaming, it's, it goes in waves. And at the moment, there's a real high. Yeah, uh, um, I think it's just lovely. It's just really lovely. I mean, look at all you guys. You just love your, your retro games or still hanging on to the nostalgia of back then. And we still do too. And um, we have different views about today's gaming. I think it's all good. It's not, it's not perfect, but I think it's all good. And um, I don't know, it's, it's just nice. That's, that's, that's the best way I look at it. It's just a nice experience. I think you've got another experience. question over here too. Oh, sorry. Yeah. G'day, guys. Hey, uh, hey, Brian. Who is that? Oh, gee, I wonder who it is, Brian. Um, now, a question for all, guys, all of you guys. Uh, do you guys each have your own uh, sacred sort of memorabilia from Sonic or Sega games? And also, Sega or Sega? Sega. <laughs> Sega. <laughs> you heard the commercials as you're walking in. Sega. I, well, what yeah, Sega. Sega, but I have another theory. So maybe we're all saying it wrong because Sega is short for service games, so maybe we should all be saying Sega. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Whoa. Um, and as for memorabilia, I've got very little um, from my, my Sega Aussie Soft days, but still um, pride of place on my um, desk at, uh, in my study at home. I've got my Sonic, the Sonic 2 um, mug, which I... Um, cherish and love because it's really, apart from these memories, um, as far as objects go, that's, that's it for me. Uh, we did get handed a pre-release version of Sonic 2 and it was so early that they didn't have the artwork ready so they just put a little Sonic the, the Hedgehog 2 sticker on it and I've managed to kept, uh, keep on to that. That's about all I've got. Like, I, just, I was too honest. I should have stole some of those ROMs. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I don't have too much from that era. Um, there's a few stickers and things like that. I know that we, at the time, uh, in the early days, they also opened like a whole heap of the Sega Serious Fun stores, which were open and part of like Grace Brothers and, and things like that um, across Australia. And there was a big opening um, event and they had uh, Dieter Brummer and Melissa George, who were the big stars from Home and Away <laughs> at the time. Well, you know, Melissa George is probably still a name more so than anything. And I've got a signed photo from Mel, and uh, she wrote love on it, so... Uh. I still love you. I know she's watching. Hi, Mel. Hi. Uh, memorabilia for me, I've got little knickknacks. I think the, the oddest ones I've got are the internal newsletters that we got, and we talk about... Um, our, SOS. They talk about our bios, like, oh, uh, what do you... What do you hope to have? And oh, you know, I, there was one on me, and saying I wanted two kids and a house and a family and all that sort of stuff. I haven't got the two kids. I've got a sausage dog. I think that counts <laughs> enough. Um, but the newsletters just give some incredible insight into what it was like um, at Sigurosi Soft. Um, but other things, yeah, just just like Nick stickers, stickers, little bits and bobs. I love sharing um, my stories with, with my boys as well and um, interesting in a, a cyclic sense as well um, beyond this is um, you know, my now 19 year old Oliver said, oh dad, you know, my friends and I are playing Minecraft again because you know, it's retro. I'm like, really? <laughs> so it's like, and so the cycle continues. But, uh, wow, retro. I always have, I have to sit him down. I think he's watching this, but you know, in my day, you know, I love those moments, but yeah. All right, uh, next question, please. Uh, hi, yeah, look, you showed the, um, the, the EEPROM board that you played your um, you know, pre-release and, and, and beta games on and stuff like that. What's the coolest thing that you have in your games collection today? In my gig collection? Okay. Um, I think, I think um, uh, like I, I mentioned, touch on before, Nick and I own um, an original um, environmental um, video game um, arcade cabinet for Discs of Tron, which is um, very, very cool. Obviously, it can't sit on a shelf. Um, but um, I do love collecting um, miniature replica arcade games. So I've got a whole range like um, Cocktail Table, um, Space Invaders, and, and uh, Galaga. And um, actually, one of my favorite things in my collection are the Hallmark Christmas tree ornaments of the retro games, like there's Pac-Man, Galaga, and I think the latest one was Donkey Kong, and they're really fun little um, replica 
um, arcade caps. I don't know. I think that's probably tying in with the nostalgia element for me is the arcade. Um, and uh, over the years, collected many different sort of retro gaming sort of um, consoles and um, Atari, from Atari through to Commodore 64, sort of just holding on to those things because over the years you sort of you move and you lose things or you sell things. And but um, I've got a very sort of tight collection now. Uh, for me, it's not actually a game. Um, you would have seen pictures up there of those letters, handwritten letters. And um, sorry, I get a bit emotional. Um, if if Judy didn't send back those letters, I honestly wouldn't know where I'd be because I didn't have much choice of jobs. I didn't finish my high school. And um, I keep on to those letters. They mean the most to me. That's what I need. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> so, that's that's a hard one to follow up. But, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, the bond, and, you know, we can always look back at those times, and uh, is it smoky in here? I don't know. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, we've formed these friendships, and, um, you know, there's been years where we haven't really been in touch a lot, but um, it's probably been something we've always been able to connect and bond over and, and look back on. Um, you know, if I'm talking about material things, I still collect comics and... Uh, but in terms of video games, I think my, my Vectrex is probably my pride and joy. Besides a Tower of Power, <laughs> which is the Mega CD, Mega Drive, Sonic and & Knuckles, and Sonic 3... Oh, sorry, 32X in between. Yes. Um, that's, the tangible, that's the tangible thing I've got. Um, no, that video that you saw is probably the most geekiest thing I own, um, to just keep a hold of that. And it's so special, man. Yeah, and that means a lot to me. Um, but the, my, my gaming room in general is just one big mess of gaming memorabilia. So I think that's, it's not one particular item. I don't have one, I don't have enough room for an arcade cabinet. These guys have all got arcade cabinets. I'm the only one without one. That's, yeah, I've got to work on that. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, we are right at the end of this now, guys. We've got only a couple of minutes left, but uh, Tim, you had something you'd like to give away. Real quick. Um, I've got this. <laughs> it's a sonic key ring. A few of the guys out there know what this is all about. Um, they were chucking these out from the PR department at Sega Ozisoft back in the early 90s because uh, we got them from Japan and they said they were too fuzzy. I mean, how cool. Anyway, um, yeah, so there's only now four left. Um, this is the, the five out of the four. Uh, no, the, the, there was five, now there's four. Okay, but we're going to give this away to the best question. Um, yeah, these are very rare. So what do you reckon? When we... Yeah, I think, sir, come up here. Congratulations, matey. <laughs> Also, uh, a, a bunch of guys uh, gave you uh, raffle tickets earlier. These guys will be appearing on a stream uh, later on this afternoon on uh, Generosity, which is run off packs two, three, two, two. Two. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, so uh, tune in for that. We'll be um, handing out tickets throughout uh, packs as well, and you can win a Sega Mega Drive Mini. It'll be a random draw and someone win one of those great little uh, Sega Mega Drive minis. I just want to say thanks, Callan, uh, Game Train, to, to Thank you. make this happen. Um, I never thought one day that I'd be sitting in front of a room full of gaming nerds and celebrating gaming culture and just talking about the good old days. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for, for facilitating and, and hosting. It's been a joy meeting you. Um, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And um, uh, yeah, we've got the one minute countdown. So, um, and I uh, would also like to thank each and every one of you for attending today. We're really thrilled. We weren't sure how many would be here, but um, we're really excited and um, to have this opportunity and see so many smiling faces today. 
And I'd like to thank all of you for turning up and a special thank you to my wife. Uh, just the other day we did our 10th wedding anniversary. So, Michelle. Oh, well done. <laughs> Embarrassment. And thank you to my wife, Vanessa. And my wife. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks, Tim. Uh, that stream and I my mentioned wife. before, so, sorry guys, uh, is at 1.30pm today. Um, Finally, I'll just wrap this up right now. I'd like to thank you all for turning up here today. We really, really appreciate this. Thank you so much. Everyone watching at home uh, on Twitch, thank you so much. The enforcers here today, you guys do such a great job. And the AV team, thank you so much. You guys made this thank you. so, so great. And of course, you four, thank you so much for doing this. Thank and you. Thanks to the AV guys. No one ever thanks them. <laughs> Thank you.